I want to ask you tonight, based on that video, and I watched it a couple of different times this week, is there someone in your life right now that you need to apologize to, but haven't? Is there someone in your life right now for whom you need to ask for forgiveness, but you haven't? That leads us into the message that I want to share with you tonight about moments of truth. When you have an opportunity to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing, those are moments of truth in your life that will either build up your faith or tear it down. I I'm going to begin tonight with the first of four messages, uh, as you can see in the bulletin, that I will preach on messages to the conscience. These are different messages. They are not all about moments of truth. They are four different messages, but they are based on a series that I taught 14 years ago. And of all the series that I've used over the years, I have probably used this one series more in biblical counseling over the years as much as any series that I've ever preached on. It was just something that God laid on my heart at that particular time. And so over the next two months, as I preach on, have availability to preach on Sunday nights, I will be sharing four different messages to the conscience. And the first one is moments of truth. This will be uh, kind of ironic how it turned out, but very similar to this morning in the sense that I am not going to be looking at one particular passage of Scripture. I will in the future messages in this series, but tonight it's more of a systematic look at this subject, so there's not one Scripture, and very much like this morning, the references you have in the bulletin and your sermon notes will be on the screen, but I will also make reference to other passages of Scripture if you want to jot them down. This particular subject came to my attention many years ago. Back in the early 1990s, in fact, it would have been right around 1992 or 1993, Pastor John Blodgett John was the senior pastor here, and I was one of his associate pastors at that time. And he and I went to a conference together where one of the speakers at that conference was Dr. Paul Dixon. Dr. Paul Dixon, for 25 years, was the president of what was then Cedarville College and is now Cedarville University. Dr. Paul Dixon was, uh, he was a, a tremendous speaker. He was actually a personal friend of uh, Pastor Blodgett's. And actually, I don't know if some of you remember this, back in the 90s, he spoke here at our church. Um, but a very effective speaker 14, for 14 years prior to being the president of Cedarville College. He was an evangelist and still, uh, as far as I know, still uh, speaks on an itinerant basis. But he was talking about this subject, Moments of Truth. And all these years later, there aren't that many sermons I've heard from other people that I remember that well, but I remember his message. And so a number of years later, after I heard that message, I wanted to develop a message on the concept that he presented that day. And he talked about the fact that we all face moments of truth that define our lives. And because of his position as the president of a college, plus he was a fairly well-known evangelist, especially in Baptist circles, 
He was just one of those people, kind of like Dr. Wendell Kempton, if you remember him, who had access to um, some well-known people, to some prominent and important and powerful people, and, and God gave him the, the gift of being able to influence some of these powerful people. And he told about a stewardess that he knew who told him that she had had a perfect opportunity to cheat on her husband that presented itself when she was away from home for a fairly long period of time. He talked about uh, a prominent businessman that he knew who had a perfect opportunity to embezzle huge amounts of money from his company. These were Christian people. He talked about a Christian professional athlete who was actually presented with the opportunity Think of the time period, this is when it was so big back in the early 90s, presented with the opportunity to take performance-enhancing drugs. And they faced these moments of truth in their lives. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, is moments of truth. And that is our first point tonight. Every Christian, during their journey here on earth, will face moments of truth. A moment of truth takes place when a Christian faces a significant moral decision. A crucial choice must be made between right and wrong. And often, often there is great inward pressure to make the wrong choice. The choice is often between immediate or short-term gratification and an obedient decision that may be painful or cause misunderstanding. It is often a choice between our faith and our feelings. In fact, next Sunday night, that is going to be the topic that we look at is faith versus feelings. We have general examples of moments of truth in the secular news all the time. All you have to do is watch the news, read the news online, or if you still happen to read a paper edition uh, of a newspaper, then um, you will see that there are people who have and will continue to face moments of truth in their lives, and often they're in the news because they made the wrong choice. Right now, as we meet tonight, I think of Ezekiel Elliott, the running back for the Dallas Cowboys, who has been suspended for the first six games of this upcoming NFL season because of domestic violence that he was involved in. I will guarantee you that in his young life, and he is a young man, um, he faced some moments of truth. Another very prominent story that probably almost everyone here has uh, heard of is, is the account of Dr. Larry Nasser, the uh, former faculty member at Michigan State University, the former physician for USA Gymnastics, who was involved in or is being accused of, I should say accurately, of numerous acts of inappropriate action toward young girls. He's already been convicted on child pornography uh, uh, accusations, and there is a strong likelihood, at least where the case is at now, that here is a physician who is going to spend the rest of his life in prison. And you think, what happened? Here is a well-educated man, a man who at one time was very well-respected, 
and made some terrible, terrible choices in his life. And again, you can be assured that he faced many moments of truth in his life. I think of Stuart Dunnings III. Maybe some of you are familiar with him. He was for 19 years the prosecuting attorney for Ingham County. Uh, some 20 years ago, he was the first African-American person elected to a prosecuting attorney position in the state of Michigan, very well respected for many years. But then it was found out that he had solicited prostitutes over a long period of time, is now facing time in jail. His career basically is over. His legal license has been suspended. Um, our Attorney General Bill Schutte said in a public statement uh, that Stuart Dunnings, it appeared, had uh, solicited prostitutes well over a hundred times. And in some cases coerced some young ladies because of his powerful position to engage in sex acts for pay. Again, here is a man who in a sense had such a well-respected position and opportunity and yet failed when faced with significant moments of truth. We have many, many examples in the Bible. The Bible is filled with people who faced moments of truth, some unsuccessfully and some successfully. We think of Galatians chapter 2, such an instructive chapter where Peter comes down to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were at, and Peter ate with the Gentiles because they were now free in Christ, and it was now okay for Jews to eat with Gentiles. However, if you know the account, some prominent, and that's what the Bible says, some prominent men from the circumcision movement, the Judaizers, came down to Antioch, and Peter felt peer pressure from them, and he separated himself from the Gentiles. He had been eating with them, but now he wouldn't. He faced a moment of truth. Would he continue to practice the truth that God told him, or would he give in to these powerful men? And he gave in to them. And the account in Galatians chapter 2 is that Paul comes to Peter, and he confronts him. And this is what the Bible says. He confronts him face to face and says, Peter, you are wrong. We think of that famous account of David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. At a time when kings go out to war, the ESV says when they go out to battle, and David should have been out to battle, out to war with his troops, he stayed back in Jerusalem. And on one particular day, one momentous day that has lived in infamy, he saw a beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop. And he became very intrigued by her. And the Bible says this, he sent one of his servants to find out who she was. And the servant comes back to David and says, this is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Right then, that was a huge red flag for David. Should have never called for her. Should have never had her brought to himself, but he did. And there is a moment of pressure there. 
in the heat of his, if I could put it this way, in the heat of his own lust, this man after God's own heart faces this great moment of truth and was told that she is the wife of another man and yet he caves in anyway. We think of the famous account of Samson and Delilah in Judges chapter 16. And Samson was not to reveal the secret of his strength to her, but this is what it says in Judges chapter 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. So he told her everything, and thus came the downfall of Samson. We think of the famous account of Peter in the Gospels, but in Luke chapter 22, where he is in the courtyard. Jesus is on trial in the home of the high priest. Peter is in the courtyard, and three times he is identified as a follower of Jesus. There's great pressure there. Peter faces another moment of truth. And three times he denies that he even knows Jesus, the third time even calling down a curse. But they're not all negative. There are some amazing moments of truth in the Bible where God's people were victorious, where they made the right choice in the heat of the moment. We think of Abraham and Isaac asked to sacrifice his own son without even understanding why God was asking him to do this. And Abraham is obedient. Abraham is a man of faith. And it, by, the Bible says that he was justified by his faith. When faced with a difficult decision, when faced with a moment of truth, Abraham makes the right decision. We think of Stephen in Acts chapters 6 and 7 as he is before the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, and he is grilled by them, and he gives the history of the people of Israel and proclaims Jesus as Messiah, could have easily just said nothing, could have easily spared his own life, but he doesn't. He speaks boldly for Christ and it costs him his life. We think of the Apostle Paul before King Agrippa. And he was before Agrippa and Bernice, and also Festus was there at the time. And Agrippa wants Paul to tell him about his faith in Christ. And Paul gives this amazing account of his conversion and of the gospel message to where Agrippa said, Paul, you're mad. He said, do you think in such a short amount of time you can convince me to be a Christian? And Paul says, whether in a short or long amount of time, I hope that you will become as I am. When faced with royalty, with faced with these powerful political figures, Paul boldly speaks for Christ. And of course, the greatest moment of truth of all time in the history of the universe is Jesus at the cross. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. When faced with the agony of the cross, with bearing the sins of all the people of all time, 
Jesus gives himself as a sacrifice for our sins in his great moment of truth. But again, moments of truth don't just happen in the Bible or in the news. They happen to every Christian. I want to read for you three accounts that I drew when I first did this series, that I drew from a counseling book that I was using for my studies at that particular time. So this comes from a biblical counseling book. And what they're doing at this point is, here are the accounts, and the question is, what would you do? What would you do if faced with this circumstance? Let me give you three accounts that they have. A businessman faces tremendous pressure to meet his department quota. If he doesn't meet his quota this quarter, he could lose his job or at the very least face a demotion. If he alters the figures on his report, it will help him to make it through this quarter and then maybe things will get better. If I lie this one time, this just this one time, I could save my job. What would you do? A man finds his female co-worker not only attractive, but she appears to meet emotional needs in his life that his wife is not meeting. He finds himself spending a lot of time with her. He wonders in his mind what it might be like if he had married her instead of his wife. He is at a dramatic crossroad in his marriage and in his life. What would you do? A home builder gets near the very end of a home that he and his crew have just built. He then realizes that some serious mistakes have been made in the structure of the home. To fix the mistakes now would be costly and very time consuming, and he would have to eat the costs rather than the homeowner. It's possible. It's possible that the new homeowners won't notice the mistakes. And with a little bit of effort, he can even artificially cover up the errors to make them less notable, noticeable. What would you do? What is important is that all of us in one way or another will be faced with these kinds of moments of truth. You could create your own list of opportunities. You have a chance maybe to take a little money from your workplace. You know they won't even miss it. You're alone at home. You have a perfect opportunity to look at some pornographic websites. What will you do? Someone asks you about a situation and you could just tell a lie and not risk the embarrassment or humiliation of having to admit that you were a part of it. What would you do? So what is important, and this is our second point, is preparing for moments of truth. And this is something that Dr. Dixon hammered home to us when I first heard him preach that message. The time to prepare for moments of truth is right now, every day. 
Every single day of your Christian life, you are preparing for moments of truth because you never know when those moments are going to come. You can't say, well, when I cross that bridge, I'll deal with it then. No, no, no. The time to prepare is now. I want to give you five things tonight to remember every day. Five things to remember every day. Number one, remember, every day is a day in which we are engaged in spiritual warfare. Every single day is a day of spiritual warfare. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, that whole section on the armor of God, it says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Some of you may remember this because I've preached on this particular verse a number of times over the years. But in John MacArthur's commentary on the book of Ephesians, I love and have always cherished his comment on this particular verse. He says that the day of evil is any ordinary day. You never know when the day of evil is going to come. You never know when the day of temptation in your life is going to come, and the likelihood is it will come on an ordinary day when you least expect it. Remember this. When it comes to spiritual warfare, there are no days off until heaven. At your workplace, you have vacation days, you have personal days, you have sick days. In spiritual warfare, there are no days off. No day, there's no such thing as a, a day off. And, and folks, we need to know this. Satan never takes a day off. Satan has no vacation time. He never takes a day off, and don't think he does. Your enemy, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Your sinful desires don't take a day off. There is never a day where you are not struggling with your own sinful desires. Galatians 5.17 says the desires of the flesh war against the desires of the spirit and the desires of the spirit war against the desires of the flesh. Every day is a day in which we are engaged in spiritual warfare. Secondly, remember, spiritual disciplines are not optional, but are God-given means of protection and survival. If you're not familiar with the term, a spiritual discipline is simply the disciplines that we practice in our Christian life to draw us close to God. Bible study, Bible reading, Bible meditation, scripture memorization, prayer. Those are all what are known historically in Christianity as spiritual disciplines. We don't just read. We do, and I talked about it this morning. We read and we pray that we might emotionally engage with God and meet him in his word. But know this, you also do the, those things for your spiritual 
protection. They are your protection against the schemes of the devil. One of my favorite verses on prayer in the New Testament is Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And the context and the grammatical structure of the verse imply that Jesus did this on a regular basis. The Son of God found it necessary when he walked among us, as he walked among us as a man, to go off to a solitary place and to spend time in prayer with the Father. Again, not only for communion, not only for fellowship, but also for his own protection. Psalm 119, many of you know it well. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, there is a verse we ought to always care, carry with us. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Boy, what an instructive verse. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Remember every day that the spiritual disciplines are not optional, but are God-given means of protection and survival. Number three, remember the account of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. I think all of us ought to have this etched in our minds, but guys, the men here, you ought to have this one to where you, you can recite it verbatim. You really should. The story of Joseph in the book of Genesis and, and Potiphar's wife. Just to refresh your memory, it says this in Genesis chapter 39, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Wow, what a great verse. But I want you to notice this, guys. And one commentary that I was reading said, it is likely because Potiphar was such a high official that she was a very beautiful woman. Day after day, she spoke to Joseph. And then it says this, one day he went into the house. And I have highlighted and in bold, one day. One ordinary day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside, just him and her. She caught him by his cloak and said, 
come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Folks, one of the best things we can do in a tempting situation is run. If you find yourself in a circumstance or context where you know you just sense it's going to be overwhelming and very tempting, get out. Sometimes the very best thing you can do is just run. And you can read the account of Joseph in the Greek, in the Hebrew, in the King James Version, the New International Version, the New American Standard Version, the English Standard Version, and it always says the same thing. Run. Get out. That, we need to remember that account. He had a perfect opportunity to sin with a beautiful woman, and he ran away. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We think of the famous King James rendering, flee, flee youthful lusts. Some of you are familiar with Ray Comfort. He's an evangelist, does a lot of street evangelism. Um, he has started Living Waters Publication and the Way of the Master uh, Evangelism. And he once said this. I thought this was really interesting. This is what he says about temptation. And if you don't deal with your temptation, he said, this is what will happen. He says, temptation is like getting drowsy when you drive. You suddenly shut down. I want you to think about that. He said, if you do not deal with your temptation, it is like being drowsy when you're driving. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you will shut down. All of a sudden you will give in. Remember the account of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Number four, remember when it comes to evil, don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. No one, no one is exempt from a major fall in sin. And this is something that I have used a lot in biblical counseling. And I will say to people, when you are watching the news and you see that politician or that entertainer or that athlete who has fallen into some kind of grievous sin, just remember, that could be you. Put your name in there. If you are not careful, if you do not protect yourself, that could be you. And if you think it couldn't be, then you are deceived and susceptible to Satan's attacks. Often we see these things in the media. And we think, oh, that's disgusting, or oh, that's so terrible. But do you ever stop and think, only by the grace of God, that's not me? If given the right opportunity, and if I wasn't walking with the Lord, I could be the person in the headline. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, it says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. 
I've shared this with you before, but I was at a Bible conference and I was listening to a pastor speak and he was giving the illustration of, at the time, his teenage daughter. His teenage daughter came to him and she wanted to go to a particular place. And he said, honey, I know you want to go there, but um, I just can't let you. The circumstance is such that um, I think it's better that you don't go. And she said to her father, she said, you don't trust me, do you? And this is what he said. He said, honey, in a sense, I don't trust you because I can't even trust myself. He said, everywhere I go as a pastor, I have to set up safeguards and protections for myself. He said, honey, the reason I can't let you go is because I know how susceptible I am and I know how susceptible you are. In this particular case, I'm going to have to say no. There is nothing wrong, folks, with admitting that you are weak and vulnerable because you are. You are. In fact, I think when people admit that they're weak and vulnerable and have to protect themselves, that is a significant step of maturity and growth in their Christian life. In one biblical counseling article that I read a number of years ago, it said, do this. Anytime you are tempted, if possible, imagine the consequences if you give in. And in this particular case, it said, imagine you as a pastor have been caught indulging in pornography and you're standing before your congregation reading your resignation letter because you've been caught in your sin and the leadership of the church has asked you to resign. Imagine that you come home and tell your wife that you've been let go from your job because they caught you looking at pornography on the company computer or they caught you stealing money from the company. Imagine telling your extended family why you lost your job. It is good. It is good to think about what it be, would be like to face the consequences if we get caught. Because the Bible says, be sure. Be sure that your sin will find you out. Remember, when it comes to evil, don't trust yourself. And then finally, number five. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In the New International Version, 1984, that's how it says it. And that's how I memorized it years ago. And I love the way it says that. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In that context, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Faith, the great faith chapter, and it talks about men like men and women. It talks about Abraham. It uh, talks about Noah. It talks about Enoch. And it talks about their faith. 
But one of the things I want you to notice when you read through Hebrews chapter 11 is every person faced moments of truth. Whether either believed God or didn't believe him. The reason they are recorded in Hebrews 11 is because they faced moments of truth and they trusted God and they believed what God said. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, it says this. Consider him, a reference to Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. If you think, oh, I just can't resist this. Have you shed your blood? Has it cost you your life? Yes, you can resist. You don't have to yield. You don't have to give in. In James chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8, it says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. I want you to just think about those again. Let me just go over them very quickly. Remember, every day is a day of spirit, excuse me, every day is a day in which we are engaged in spiritual warfare. Remember, spiritual disciplines are not optional, but are but our God-given means of protection and survival. Remember the account of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Remember, when it comes to evil, don't trust yourself. Remember, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. When we take steps to cling to Christ, as sinful men and women, to cling to him each and every day, it unleashes the grace of God. If you do what God has called you to do, if you remember these things, you can be sure that God will extend to you his grace and his mercy. I've asked Pastor Mike to close with the song, Wonderful Grace of Jesus, because that's what it is. Each and every day, it is the grace of God that keeps us going. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us in our moments of truth. Could happen tomorrow. Could happen this week. We never know. Lord, I believe you, are not, you have not called us to worry, but to prepare. To prepare each and every day so that when the day of evil comes, we may be able to stay after we have done everything to be found standing faithful to you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.